Hi everyone, I'm Chelsea Brown, and welcome to the Millie Podcast. The more I talk with people, the more I'm hearing the same thing. We're all looking for more meaning and more substance. People want to get away from the scripted reality and get to the heart of each person's story. This podcast is for women who want to rip up the script and explore new ideas, places, and possibilities. Every two weeks, I'll be talking with an inspiring and inspired woman who is creating impact in her community. And more importantly, a woman who can teach us to be ourselves, go after our dreams, and write our own story. I can't wait to share this journey with you. It's time to see the world in a different way. Today on International Women's Day, I am honored to welcome Florence Akara to the Millie podcast. One of the things that I've been very vocal about within my own family and my community is the strength of a woman wanting to be seen as equally capable because I am. Florence is a feminist, menstrual health rights advocate women's rights activist, and the managing director at Femme International. You think about menstruation, it doesn't choose religion, it doesn't choose tribe, it doesn't choose economic status or, you know, social well-being. If we want to talk about addressing gender barriers, addressing the disparities that are caused, this is what we need to focus on fixing, making sure that menstrual equity is achieved. This NGO in East Africa is helping to break the barriers for stigma people still face as a result of menstruation, building a world where no one is limited by their body's natural cycle. It is perceived very negatively in a lot of the communities. You know, some of the taboos are drawn from, you know, the education or information people receive from their grandparents, their older aunties, who often do not really have a comprehensive understanding of menstruation themselves. Florence first joined Femme in 2018, moving to Tanzania from Kenya, where she was a corporate lawyer for several years and later worked on advocacy campaigns with Chapter One Kenya. When Florence connected with Femme International, her activism, drive, and passion became laser-focused on empowerment of women and girls. We should be treated according to our strengths and not the expectations of society. You know, any time someone put me down for a reason that was, was based on my gender, it made me want to work harder towards showing them that my gender has no contribution towards, you know, who I am. Florence and Femme International, under her leadership, have been recognized for several global awards, including the World Health Organization Top 30 Innovations 2019 and the Duke UNICEF Innovation Accelerator Award. I know you are going to love getting to know this exceptional, passionate, and dedicated woman, so let's get to it. Florence, thank you so much for celebrating International Women's Day with me. Welcome to the Millie Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So before we talk about your personal journey to FEM, mm-hmm. can you tell listeners about FEM International and its mission? Well, so FEM International, it's a menstrual health NGO based in Tanz- in East Africa. Uh, it was founded in 2013 by Sabrina Rubli and Ella Marinik. And they were completing their postgraduate studies in Canada when they developed a pilot program called Tuaweza, which means we can in Swahili. And they did this in Nairobi, Kenya. 
um, trying to understand, you know, how to provide solutions for the challenges and barriers that menstruators in East Africa were facing. Mm -hmm. A little bit more about FEM is that, you know, we've now grown. We now have operations both in Kenya and Tanzania, and we've added two other solutions to our programming. We have one, the Twende Initiative. Twende means let's go in Swahili, which is a social enterprise aimed to enable us to generate income. And we have a research project that we just started this November uh, that is partnering to support schools to promote good menstrual health and well-being. It's the first ever menstrual health research of its kind, and we're excited to be participating. That's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) FEM talks about breaking down menstrual taboos globally. But can you share some of the struggles happening in East Africa today? So in East Africa, when it comes to the stigmas and taboos, menstruation is not a topic that is openly discussed. Mm -hmm. This is because it is perceived very negatively in a lot of the communities. You know, some of the taboos are drawn from, you know, the education or information people receive from their grandparents, their older aunties, who often do not really have a comprehensive understanding of menstruation themselves. Right. Um, and it leads to misconceptions that create these myths and cultural taboos about girls being able to poison, you know, their family members if they're involved in activities such as cooking while on their period, you know, praying. What? All these are, um, yeah, they, they, I mean, there's so many different myths and taboos that come across when you discuss the menstrual culture in East Africa. And we find that these uh, they end up limiting girls, young girls and women in the activities like in school, in participating in school, in participating at work, because they, they feel embarrassed and ashamed about the fact that they menstruate, which is ridiculous to us at FEM. We believe that it is so normal and it shouldn't really be a hindering fact for anyone. So would you mind taking us through an everyday experience of a girl menstruating? When I was in my high school, we used to wear yellow tunics like the ones in Two Broke Girls. Yes. <laughs> and for my school uniform. <laughs> and it was so crazy that, you know, the biggest fear any girl had was staining your dress you know, everybody would know. There was no way you could hide it. Oh my God. I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine. It's going to just be like a highlight on the dress. So our school had a rule that when you answer questions or, you know, the teacher could call you up when you have an idea to come and demonstrate it on the blackboard. And you really didn't want to be picked up because you did not know. You never knew whether you stained yourself because Sometimes the pad flips. Only menstruators will really understand what I'm saying. But, you know, accidents can happen and you can stain yourself. And, you know, when you're in a community that does not understand how to react, you know, those are the moments where I pretended not to know anything just so I don't get picked up by the teacher to demonstrate. Just out of the phobia that they would laugh, you know, they ridicule they they bring on the stigma even harder for the girls. I, I think this is one of the reasons that really motivates me to do the work I do at FEM because I really don't want to witness or, you know, have the cycle continue of girls missing opportunities. 
simply because they're afraid of their own bodies, something that is so normal, which if only everyone understood how normal it is and how to approach it with the sensitivity that it needs. Because when you think about the psychological development, especially of a very young girl, very young menstruator, it's it's sad to think, you know, if they can lack self-esteem from something that is such a natural process. And in fact, the fact that they're menstruating is something they should be happy and celebrating. Yet the culture or mindset that they've been brought into makes them despise themselves for this. How does this experience affect girls' long-term future? What kind of opportunities do they miss out on? The other issue is the economic burden of menstruation. When in Tanzania, for instance, uh, families are spending about $2.50 a month purchasing single-use disposable menstrual products. And what happens is the same amount is equivalent to purchase the same family, maybe like three liters of milk or five loaves of bread. So it leaves families who are in an economic strenuous situation in a food versus menstruation dilemma. And we find that so unacceptable. So our program's delivery is aimed at tackling these two main things. The first, the Tuaweza program which means we can, and we believe that we can eliminate the, t- the taboos and stigmas. Through Tuaweza, we give access to sustainable menstrual products, um, as it is part of our nonprofit activities and operations. Then we have Twende, the Swahili one, which means let's go. And this is an initiative to take Tuaweza to an even more amplify. It's amplifying what we do in our, in our nonprofit model but also goes further and beyond because trainers will be able to go direct to the communities, direct to the doorsteps of the beneficiaries and avail a sustainable, high-quality menstrual product for sale at a reduced cost, helping them you know, manage the cost of menstruation at the moment, for instance, in Tanzania is 60000 a year. If you're buying the single-use disposable pads, you will be spending 20000 and if you buy the the menstrual cup, you spend thirty five thousand. I'm talking Tanzania shillings. I should confirm. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I realize the currency currency conversion. Someone's probably thinking, "Whoa, sixty thousand dollars." <laughs> uh, you had mentioned about two dollars and fifty cents, um, yes. like USD per month, yes. if that was yes. converted. I mean, that's incredible. The financial burdens and struggles alone, you know, we talked about if you're a single parent family or if, you know, there are multiple girls in your family to either purchase food for that month or other products for menstruation would be a challenge. Yeah, it's putting people in a burdenous situation that's really unjust, if I can say, because you think about menstruation, it doesn't choose religion, it doesn't choose tribe, it doesn't choose economic status, or, you know, social well-being. So if other people who are not as fortunate to have the privileges of all these economic and societal benefits, then they're left at a disadvantage which is only because they menstruate, which I think is, is, is really ridiculous. If we, if we want to talk about addressing gender barriers, addressing the disparities that are caused, this is what we need to focus on fixing, making sure that menstrual equity is achieved.
Yes, absolutely. What are some of the solutions in parts of Africa women have had to come up with to create homemade menstrual products? Yeah, we we find we find different communities using different things based on what's accessible. They're very resourceful, you know, they will find maybe like pieces of cloth or mattress stuffings. Um, in other, you know, traditions, you find them using animal fur, you know, um, wow. the, 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 what do you call them? <laughs> the covers for the maize cob and leaves, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, but yeah, so there's, there's a lot of, you know, they'll just find what is in the environment that is absorbent and is able to allow them to continue going about their day-to-day activities, but also help them manage their menstruation. And you know, some of these products are not necessarily hygienic, particularly when it comes to how they manage them, because, you know, you go to a particular culture and that product is known in the community as the menstrual product. So even if you want to clean it out, you, 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 you can't really clean and hang it outside. People will see it. So some cultures you find would encourage girls to put it under their beds or in the bathrooms. So they don't get the UV lighting to, to treat the bacteria. So what we try to focus on at Femme International is really educate because once someone understands you know, the the fact that you have to really put put the product you're using outside to get some UV light or wind. Um, they they then understand that, you know, managing my products in a sanitary way would reduce the risk of infection. The other challenge is that these products are not comfortable by any means. So it's in as much as they have found alternative ways to manage, we are in no way trying to tell them to stop because some of them are cultural practices that we have to respect and by all means we do. So what we do is just to educate them. If that's the product you continue using, because menstruation is also not a one size fits all choice. Right, yeah. Different people prefer different things. So we just teach them how to better manage the products that they use, how better to clean themselves, how to take care of themselves, to understand exactly what's happening as it happens to them. Florence, where did you find this passion for women and girls empowerment? What in your experience contributed to that? I think I've always been unsatisfied by the status of, um, you know, for women in Africa. I grew up in Africa my whole life and one of the barriers I faced, the pressure I faced constantly to outperform my male counterparts in order to get the same thing, you know, there was always that pressure. There's always, there was always um, one, I mean, I grew up very idolizing my father and I wanted to be just like him, but like there were pressures, like for instance, driving a car is not something I saw very many men doing when I was younger. And when I didn't see very many women do it, I assumed that it's not something I'm able to do because I'm a woman. But then that did not stop me from wanting to drive. And even when I saw my mother, eventually, you know, as I got older, my mother started driving and that gave me even more motivation. So being able to witness that made me confident that I could achieve anything in spite of the fact that I was a woman. Any time someone put me down for whatever reason, and you know, for for a reason that was sim- was 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 based on my gender, it made me want to work harder towards 
showing them that my gender has no contribution towards, you know, who I am. That's beautiful. Honestly, I have the biggest smile on my face. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I feel the same way. Uh, Where are you located right now? Um, I'm located in Kilimanjaro in Tanzania. Wow, right. Yeah, it's a very beautiful town. Uh, This is where our headquarters is in Tanzania, the registered office. Now, for everyone who can't be there or travel there, I mean, what are you looking at right now? Like, what does it look like? <laughs> well, this isn't this isn't to add to the stereotype or anything, but I currently do not have power. I haven't had power the whole day. <laughs> but oh it, it's not it's not to say. I mean, it is a struggle to expect, but right. um, it, it it's 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 a very calm and quiet town it's it's quite small actually and but it's at the foothill of mount kilimanjaro we get to see you know you get opportunities to see it usually early in the morning and late in the evening so twice a day to be able to see the mountain very relaxing (laughs) it makes working with all the challenges that we have very peaceful you know at least you get the mountain it's a big bonus (laughs) oh amazing do you remember a moment or a person that inspired or maybe helped to shape you into the person that you are today I think growing up you know in a family of we were four girls before my brother was born wow (laughs) yeah so it was just four of us girls Uh, my brother was born when I was 15 years old and Throughout that entire time, there was really no gender roles amongst the children. Like I did the gardening, my sisters did it. We did circuits in the house. We changed the tires. We did all these things that traditionally boys would do in their homes. But as soon as I stepped into the extended homestead, I was all of a sudden expected to do like the women's roles, the cleaning, the washing dishes, you know, and I I didn't agree with it. It did not agree with me because I had already, (laughs) I'd already become accustomed to the fact that I could do anything that boys did as well. And I don't know, it was never intentional for my parents, I'm sure, but like, that's just how it was. And it really molded me, you know, I I, I, I idolized my dad and I wanted to just be like him. So like when I step into society and they tell me, oh, you can't drive or you can't do this or that because you're not a man, you're you're a woman. It, it, it made me frustrated and I just wanted to do it anyway, you know. I wanted to do everything that they said that I couldn't do. The careers that we choose, deciding when to have children, deciding what you want to do with your money, like there's so many things that women find is restricted for them, particularly in Africa. For men, it's just, you know, it's a patrilineal nation. We really need a society and we really need to understand how best to work with patrilineal societies in order to make our programming better i mean this is why we brought in men and we're seeing that it's really helping Mm -hmm. the progress of the work that we do florence when you and i spoke last month over facetime we talked about how lack of education and knowledge very much influenced the lack and acceptance of women's periods you had mentioned that menstrual stigma may have begun with the hiv aids stigma from lack of understanding you believe and i quote you When people become aware on a topic, they address it with less fear. 
can we talk about this? Can you... Like, I do think about it, like, in the context of HIV. When it started, you know, when it was new and people knew nothing about it, there was so much stigma. People thought, you know, you got it through drugs or through same-sex relationships and, you know, promiscuous lives, really. But we've come to understand that it takes... It, it has no discrimination. It's just a disease that can affect about anyone. With more understanding and the education around it, with the governments being involved in educating communities about how to prevent themselves from getting it, contracting it. The stigma, I mean, it still exists, but it's less and less, you know, people are now understanding how to cope with their own family members having the disease. But like... With, with with menstruation, it's the same way at the moment. Like there are no conversations happening in the communities because it's a taboo topic. So no discussion. And any discussion being had does not have the right information and the right facts to enable menstruators to properly manage it or just get the proper treatment that they deserve from their communities and support systems. And, you know, with with the schools, the government systems not really implementing it, you know, biology teachers have a challenge even mentioning the word vagina. But how are you going to have a conversation about menstruation without mentioning the word? So like education, you know, once once people understand, once people learn, you know, when you understand that menstruation happens to any uh, girl, or woman, or, you know, whatever other genders include, all inclusive, we understand then that it is not something that is a curse, because we find cultures that believe that it is. When you understand that it is a cleaning process, then you don't try and block it from happening. You know, there are some systems of FGM that completely close up the reproductive health passageways that menstrual blood can't even adequately flow out and clean the body. So some of these practices that are connected, we would see them come to an end because people understand and then they'll want to to, to open the conversations. I mean, the education is what will help uncover all these other consequences that come about, um, you know, from the practices and the cultures. Yeah. Your team at FEM are working overtime to create and implement simple but lasting solutions to large problems. Can you tell us about your amazing programming and research that you're doing? We have the Tuaweza program. This is the, it means we can in Swahili. And it is basically the idea that we can eradicate menstrual stigmas and taboos and myths by educating communities, giving menstruators support from their communities who understand that menstruation is normal and then also providing them a platform to openly speak about the challenges they face the needs they have that they need met and um, also providing them a sustainable menstrual product that they would be able to use yeah before getting involved with FEM you're a corporate lawyer Can you describe your journey from a corporate lawyer in Kenya to being an advocate for girls and women with Femme International in Tanzania? Yeah, so I I worked as a lawyer. I've worked in three countries, in Botswana, in Kenya, and, well, Tanzania now. Um, But one of the things I 
noticed as I was growing in my career was there was a lack of fulfillment. Um, one, I mean, I'm not one who was very, you know, sitting in corporate office all day, all, you know, for 24, sometimes you'd sit, you know, as a lawyer would be there for like maybe 24 hours straight, working on cases, on briefs, and it just, like, I never saw the active impact that the work I was doing as a corporate lawyer was bringing. I did not see the solutions that it was creating in my community. There were no real problems we were solving other than, you know, someone trying to buy land and then get it registered or join a venture with a company. And yes, maybe it brought financial success to the people who were involved, but when I looked within and I just didn't feel the satisfaction, it, it didn't make me feel like I was pursuing a purpose of any particular sort. And uh, one of the things that I've been very vocal about within my own family and my community is the strength of a woman wanting to be seen as equally capable because I am. And this has been a fight that has been something I've been moving individually, but being part of FEM allowed me to do it in a way that is creating change in the community because more and more women are recognizing their ability to do more, to, to, to not look down upon themselves just because of one body process that di differentiates them from boys, you know? I can only imagine how powerful of a transition that would be, but I would also think that would be a bit scary. Did you have any doubts moving countries and going from a more traditional field to an advocational one? I think there was a lot of self-doubt. The corporate sector and the development world are two different. They're completely different. And I was a little bit uh, nervous when I started pursuing uh, the development sector. But what I came to understand as I walked in was that you know, there's a lot from my own personal experience that could inform and help me, you know, figure out how best to help the communities around me. And this is so different from the formal education I received as a lawyer, for instance. Intellectual property rights is not something which I grew up understanding because in, in, in where I grew up, you know, someone would set up a shop right next to the other and completely copy the product and the design and every single little detail of the previous shop just to mimic its success. And it, it's then that, I mean, with those, you know, the, the fact that I have a personal life experience in, in, in this, especially the menstrual world, helps me become a stronger advocate for the challenges that are being faced. And this is not something which I saw in my previous career. The other thing is the mentors that I had. I actually, you know, from Thompson Reuters, the legal manager, uh, uh, Trust Law, um, he's been a very supportive person. You know, like every time I had doubts about the career path I was choosing, the opportunities I was trying to apply to, I reached out to a lot of people my best friend, my mother, my father at times, sometimes they wouldn't listen. Um, but like, I think whatever new opportunity you're trying to seek, if you have a clear vision of what you want to achieve, even if 
people may not give you the same support. I think you kind of have to believe in yourself first and then show the people. Like once once I got into the sector, the more I I settle into the menstrual health sector and the developing world, the more you know, encouragement I'm finding from even people who didn't understand how a lawyer can stop working in a law firm because traditionally that's what we know of lawyers. So, <laughs> yeah, um, it's it's a matter of just, I guess, self-faith and trying to find supportive communities. There's always someone who will have your back, always, even if it's just one person. <laughs> how did your parents respond when you transition from a traditional role to femme? You know, when I first moved to Tanzania as a volunteer, where I eventually ended up at FEM, uh, one of my my sisters called me one time and she's like, oh, dad is asking what you're doing there. So from what I heard in the rumor train was that I had followed a boy or something because it just seemed so odd oh, that I would all of a sudden go and volunteer. But um, when I finally went home, I got the job at FEM, went home and talked to my dad about it. He was like, he just said, it's your path. It's your life. If you tell me that lawyers can work outside of law firms, I don't know much, but you just do your, you know, and he said that, and I'm not sure if he meant it or he was just saying it sarcastically. I have no idea, but like, it gave me my peace of mind. Like I, you know, whether he meant it positively or negatively, I just took it positively and um, you know, it is, to be honest, my life, my choice, my career. And but I really appreciate my parents. Like I haven't had the most um, restricted upbringing. My parents were always open yeah. to let us try new things, do new things. And I think it's part of why, you know, my career path itself has been uh, I've been able to be adventurous because I'm not really scared if my parents would be supportive. You know, we look to our parents almost for approval to a certain extent. Mm. And to have that feeling of, you know, you're going to be great in anything you do type of support is really the best, you know, the best answer you could have received from your father. So yeah. I can only <laughs> imagine how um, powerful that moment was. That's amazing. It's really amazing. <laughs> Who was one of your heroes growing up? Well, I guess within my family, I'd have to say my mom. I don't know, like maybe it was just me being biased and growing up and seeing my mom as this perfect human. <laughs> but she was someone who just seemed to me like she didn't give up. So she really motivates me. Like I find myself sometimes at my wits end when I have projects and stuff, I'm feeling like demoralized, but like thinking about how much perseverance she's always had and she always she always used to say don't give up never give up or it's never over so don't give up so <laughs> um that was quite instrumental but someone who's really really shaped my thoughts beliefs and opinions especially when it comes to uh feminism or like you know what it means to be a woman has been oprah mm -hmm. yes we I, I watched her since i was such like i think i was probably like six years old when i started watching i'm not sure but like it was always on tv and you know so grew up watching that and 
it was just very inspiring seeing someone, you know, be so powerful that she was a black woman and, you know, she didn't really fit into the boxes that society placed for women. And it just made me feel powerful. Like, you know, I could also achieve a lot. Doesn't mean you have to be married. Doesn't have, you have, don't have to pursue the sort of lifestyle people expect of you or career that people expect of you just push boundaries be yourself there was a lot of the messaging that i got from watching her shows that's beautiful you have said that one of the biggest challenges facing women and girls in the world today is getting their voices heard what advice would you give young girls around the world listening who are trying to find their voice i think a key message i'd give you know, younger girls, women who are trying to find their their passion or their voice or whatever it is in their career or life that they're looking for is there is no one objective path in life. Like everybody has their own written path. And I think the more true you are to yourself is where like it's, it's how much more you can you know your your spirit can shine because you know I feel more organic in my role as a director at Femme International as opposed to how I felt as a lawyer it felt like I was a puppet when I was a lawyer because it just wasn't intrinsically me especially corporate law but um, you know the skills the, the the opportunities the training I got was really helpful in stepping into this director role at Femme. But like what was more, was even more, made it even more possible or like more of a, made it less, what made it less of a challenging transition was the fact that this was, you know, me as a menstruator representing something that I understood empathize with it it was the truest version of like I can apply my skills as a lawyer in the most organic sense that is me it's really a lot of self-reflection and not trying to impress a community or trying to outperform for uh, competitive purposes, for instance, because like at Femme, for instance, we are very passionate about the impact we bring. We are not focused on, you know, distributing menstrual products just for the sake of getting numbers in or recording numbers. We are interested in the impact that we bring, like seeing, you know, uh, menstruators changing their practices on how they manage their products, how they take care of their body as they menstruate. And those are the things that we hope to see change because they they, they, they will, in, in the long run, improve the quality of the life of the menstruator. So for us, that's a bigger win. Absolutely. Wow. What are your personal hopes and dreams? Yeah, so my dream and hope would be that we would live in a world where, you know, the gender of any person would not determine what their value is in society. That, you know, just being a woman does not mean I can perform any less. And nobody would even think of that as a as a measure of my performance, rather that, you know, I can be valued, you know, like 
I really like Erica Badu and she says, if your knowledge was your worth, then it would be well earned. And I think that's exactly what it would be like. We should be, we should be treated according to our strengths and not the expectations of society. Just because I am a woman does not mean I must wear dresses. I must appear in a certain way, have certain hair, you know, as an African woman, like, there is no category, yes, if I'm going to religious or traditional events, I should have a right to dress culturally if I want to, but like that should not be a determining factor of how African I am or not. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's, it's, it's just a world where people would be taken down to who you are as an individual, who you've presented and shown yourself, demonstrated yourself to be above you know what what society expects that you know you should be married over a certain age you should have children you should be cooking and cleaning and those are you know those are those are standards for someone else maybe not for me maybe not for the next person but like if we continue judging society or having expectations in society and putting people in boxes that we now are seeing that do no longer just contain and fit everyone, then we are always going to live in a society that's divided. We just need to accept people for who they are, for what they choose to be, for as long as it's not hampering or hindering or it's not illegal and, you know, bringing harm to others. I see why, why not celebrate every human for their strengths. That's a world I'd love to be in. (laughs) I will be right there with you. That is a (laughs) beautiful sounding world. What can we be doing on an everyday level to help end the stigma associated with menstruation? So just as everyday people, how do you think we can make a difference in small ways? Well, I think the biggest one is using the language we choose to use. Um, When people say sanitary towels or sanitary pads or menstrual hygiene as opposed to menstrual health those are menstrual pads those are menstrual products you know they sanitary is in reference to cleaning something or to keep clean so if menstruation is not dirty if it is a natural body process and we start calling these products sanitary, then we continue spreading the stigma and, you know, encouraging people to think about it as dirty. You know, I didn't realize that saying sanitary napkins was incorrect. It's just in the language we use, like let's start saying menstrual health. The hygiene is important, but that's just part of the process of managing, whether it's how you clean yourself, and how you 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 how you clean the products that you use, but it is not uh, part and parcel of menstruation itself. The blood is not dirty; it is not being cleaned. The it does not need further cleaning aside from what the body does for itself. Also, you know, in the marketing, the advertising, why why are people still using blue blood? Like there's no blue blood; like it's red <laughs> and you know, the, the, the way we communicate things continues to communicate menstruation in a negative way. So I think if we can all start speaking with a voice of 
positivity in menstruation, then we would go a long way towards removing some of the stigmas that have been built. I value learning the proper terms, and I'm sure everyone listening appreciates this as well and can easily implement this new knowledge into their daily lives. Um, Another thing is you can join us at FEM. You can visit our website, www.feminternational.org. Help us fundraise. I think that's the biggest thing. Our struggle to do as much impact is diminished by the lack of resources, especially, you know, during COVID-19. It was not an easy time for everyone, we understand, but we used to be able to do up to 50 students per session, but now we've reduced the numbers. We're having to do them outdoors. We have to provide hand sanitizers and masks now. So our resources are even going higher and higher in the process. I think people are looking for ways to support, to connect with the other side of the world, to get back. FEM has an incredible program that donates menstrual products. And you also have a social enterprise that sells packs of pads at a significantly reduced rate. You can even donate workbooks, I believe, to the to the classrooms. Yeah. So there are so many amazing opportunities. Florence... Thank you so much for celebrating International Women's Day with me and taking time out of your very busy schedule. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for joining me for such an important conversation with Florence Akara. To learn more about Femme International and how you can get involved, please visit feminternational.org. I also want to take this moment to say thank you for taking a chance on a new podcast. I'm excited to continue this journey with you. Please join me back here for the next Millie podcast, where I'll be talking with celebrity trainer, nutritionist, yogi, and wellness warrior, Karina V. As spring is fast approaching and the world hopefully starts to open back up, we are all thinking about renewal, new beginnings, and maybe a fresh start. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please hit subscribe, share with your friends, and visit us at millie.ca.